Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to us now as we open your word and delight in the fellowship together. Lord, we love you and trust you. Amen. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. As we come to this passage, I just, I just want to be very upfront. This is a very difficult thing for me to preach on. Um, this, this passage talks about leaders and esteeming leaders. And I just want to be honest and upfront. <clears throat> Sometimes I don't feel worthy of esteem. In fact, most of the time. I am not a man who thinks highly of himself most of the time. I know Jesus, and he is my worth. And when I say that, you all know that that's the only place I find my value. So this passage talks about how you're supposed to treat leaders in some senses. And there are some things that are used in here that are very difficult for me to share. Not because, not because you shouldn't hear them, not because you shouldn't do them, not because they are um, somehow self-abasing to me, but quite the contrary. These things assume that you will treat me. And leaders in your life who have taught you the gospel and taught you the scripture, that you will treat them a certain way. And I just want to be real up front. I don't feel like I deserve those things. So, this is a hard sermon for me to teach. That's, that's, by the way, that's why you got the weird song at the beginning and the song in the middle. That's, whenever it's a hard sermon for me to preach, you can guarantee I'm going to have some weird music. Um, so just so you're aware as we approach this text some of it may be difficult for me to get through please give me grace the reason it's hard for me to get through is because I don't feel like I measure up I wish I was better and that'll become evident as we go through this text but oh okay now that the confession is over Let's read. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test Everything, hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. 
Now, 1 Thessalonians is absent of a very particular thing that is in many other books, and that is the titles that you have in offices in the church. Thessalonians does not talk about elders and deacons. It doesn't give you the titles. It doesn't tell you who's who. It doesn't give that. It just says leaders or laborers, those who labor among you, those who, those who work among you. He says he's, he's talking about that. But what he is talking about is what we term elders and deacons. Those are the two offices prescribed in the church or described in the early church. Um, you've got elders, which is three different words in Greek, and then deacons, which is one word. Deacon means servant. The, they show up in Acts at the first time, and they're showed up. They're literally table waiters. They're people who are supposed to wait tables and make sure that widows' foods, that the food distribution is done among the Christians, and that ministries are run. We call them ministries like uh, food ministries and, and ministry to those who are poor, ministry to those who are broken. So those are what deacons are. And elders are those who labor specifically in teaching, in prayer, and in what we call today discipleship or shepherding. And elders are the ones who are dedicated for the purpose of teaching, prayer, and shepherding. They're supposed to shepherd people. Um, so we have the, these two offices in the church, and uh, we want to talk about elders in particular. Because deacons are not actually analogous to those that lead the church. They rather are those that are analogous to those that serve the church. And that ought to land uncomfortably on most of our heads because we grew up in America where you had a pastor and a bunch of deacons at most churches growing up. That's the... Well, let me back up. There's a difference between function and position. Right? Function is what somebody does. It's what somebody does. Position is a title somebody holds and responsibilities that are lined out on a piece of paper usually. Function does not always match position. And they should, but they don't always. So in the American church, what happened is somewhere around the 1940s and 50s, we began to have a single elder system with a bunch of deacons underneath that elder and that elder and this is you can actually chart this out in church history that is a model that we see in scripture we do see it it's in the book of corinthians first corinthians that's the church that had the single elder system have you ever read the book of first corinthians if you've come on thursday night you have that church had problems it's the kind of church you walk into and you go whoa problems there's a lot to do here, right? Part of the reason they had problems is because they had this system, this single elder, one guy standing up, one guy, only one, nobody to call him, nobody to call him out on anything, and he was kind of the guy in charge, and that's why the book starts with, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Like, they're picking, the, they're picking their favorites, right? They're for, this is my favorite pastor, so I'm going to follow him, right? They, they have this issue, and and that's the only church that you could argue in Scripture has a single elder system. 
Every other church has multiple elders. Every other church has people who can call the guy that's up front and, and talk to him. Every other church has equal authority across the board. So somewhere in the 1940s and 50s, we ended up moving, in particular in the largest denomination in our country, which is the Baptist denomination, began to move, in Protestant denomination, to be fair, the we began to move to this single elder system and deacons kind of became this nebulous group of men who guided the church, sort of. And why was it sort of? Because they're called deacons, which in scripture means they're table waiters and servants. And they're supposed to be the greatest by being the least. Right? They're table, that's what servants are. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, whoever wants to be the greatest among you must become the servant, the least of all. He must become the servant to all. So, so we have that picture in Scripture of deacons and what they were supposed to do. And then you have elders who are leaders, who are the, the ones who teach, exercise authority, teaching. And they uh, shepherd. Shepherd's a big one. They shepherd, which means visiting the sick, calling people when they're down, talking with people, discipling people, walking with people, going out of their way to visit people and, and lead people in personal disciplines. It's shepherding. And then they pray. Oh, do they pray. Oh, they pray all the time. In James, they're called to pray over people. They're called to pray over people and they're called to lay hands on people and I know it feels a little weird, but anoint them with oil. If they're called to do those things, they pray. So that's what elders do. Elders serve in the local church. If you want to learn more about elders, i got a bunch of scriptures up here that I won't bother rattling off for you, but they're just a bunch in a row here. Um, you can find most of it in, Timothy, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 and some in chapter 3 and then in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as well. Um, and in Titus, you can find where it talks about elders and what they do and who they are. Um, pastoral duties of elders begin with shepherding. Shepherding. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, elders shepherd. Now, the only time that the word pastor is used in the scripture where we translate it as pastor. The only time it's used is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where it gives you a list of things. Some are to be teachers, some are to be pastors. And that word that's used there is the same word as shepherding. It's the only time it's used to refer to anybody other than Christ, other than Jesus. So this word elder or shepherd, uh, this, this particular Greek word that's used for shepherd in Acts and, and over in 1 Peter that, that word is used one time in reference to us. Every other time it's used in reference to Christ um, as a title, pastor, um, not as a verb. So it's used, shepherd the flock that's among you, not under compulsion, but from a heart that longs to do it. So we are, your, your pastor is shepherd. And the example that your pastor is given, your pastors are given, is Jesus. When you think about that for a minute, I've been studying John chapter 13 through 15 lately, the Last Supper, right when after Judas leaves. 
one of the most beautiful pictures of shepherding in, in all of history. It, keeps, it has this phrase that starts at the beginning of chapter 14. It says, they, they were troubled. They were troubled. And Jesus offers this, this balm to their soul. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. For if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to myself. That where I am there, you will be also. So in the midst of trouble, what is Jesus' example to the pastor? One, to point everybody to eternity. But two, to sit in their trouble with them. To sit in their trouble with them. He's there. He doesn't leave. He sits with them. That's what pastors are supposed to do. That's what pastors are supposed to do. They're supposed to rest with you in your trouble. The second word that's used for pastors, well, there's two more words that are used for pastors, almost interchangeably, and that's episkopos and presbyteros to describe your elders. And I use the term pastor loosely. Pastor is a term that we think of as a professional position. I'm not using it that way. You have pastors who aren't in professional vocational positions. We're going to focus on function, on function, not title. And that's hard for us to do because we live in an American system where everybody has to have a title. Everybody has to have a title. You know, I was once told, if you want to keep people from leaving the church, give them a title. They don't have to do anything. Give them a title. And here's the thing. I watched that happen. I worked in a church at one point where if another particular staff member got word that somebody was thinking about leaving the church or going somewhere else, he would immediately give them a title and a job to do to keep them in the church. I just want to be flat out. That's wrong. That's, that's wrong. I mean, some of the titles were made up. They weren't even things we needed. Deacon in charge of blah, blah, blah. Right? Like a deacon in charge of crackers. Your job is to make sure we have crackers. That's not, that's not okay. That's manipulation. People should serve from a heart that is, that is changed by the Lord. So we don't do that here. We'll never do that here as long as I'm alive. And, uh, so you can just count on the idea that we're going to major on function here, not title. If you want to do something here, at, this is one of the beautiful things about Sovereign Grace. If you want to do something here at Sovereign Grace, do it. If you want a deacon, deek. That's what my father-in-law says. You want a deacon, deek. You want an elder, eld. Uh, eld's not the word, but eld. You want an elder, eld. Go ahead, do it. Just do it. The function matters more than the title. But the two other words are episkopos and bishop and or episcopos, which we translate sometimes bishop, sometimes pastor, sometimes elder, and presbyteros, which we translate elder or overseer. And these are words that are connected to leadership. And of course, you had deacons who ran ministries and served the local church. Now, in Luke chapter 22, I just want to tell you, Jesus gives us some indication as to how we are to lead as Christians. He, he talks about how the Gentiles take roles of authority, and rule over people. 
They use them to rule over people and subject people. But you are not like the Gentiles. You are not like the people of the world. You are different. He says, you serve. The greatest among you is the least. That's what he tells them in Luke chapter 22. That's in Luke 22, uh, 25 and 26. Leaders are servants, not masters. He uses a very specific word there when he talks about the Gentiles ruling over them. He uses the word Lord with them and then he uses the word servant when he talks to who we are. Your leaders are servants. They're not masters. They're not masters. I'm, I'm not your master. I'm your servant. I never want to be your master. That's too much responsibility. There's one master, Jesus, and man, he carries a lot of weight. I'm a servant and I carry a lot of weight. I hold a lot of weight. But I'm a servant. I'm not in charge and you all know that. If you come to me with the scripture, I have to answer the scripture because Jesus is the one in charge and the scripture is his word. So if you open the Bible and you go, it says here this, why aren't we doing this? Then I got to go, well, we need to, it's right there. I, yeah, we got to do it. That's the way we work here. You have the same authority I do. And yeah, I make a lot of small decisions. I want you to understand why we do that here. The reason that you don't vote on everything is because we don't want to waste your time with things like the color of carpet or whether or not we should have new dishcloths. We don't, we don't want to waste your time with that stuff. So we don't ask. We just do it. And, and here's the thing. No one's ever gotten mad at me for that. You know what people did get mad at me for? Going and making sure everybody had consensus before I did some sort of small issue like change the light bulb bringing those things up at business meetings. That's what will make people mad because it makes inconsequential, unimportant things important. So at Sovereign Grace, we flip that. We give you the important decisions. We give you the things that matter. We ask you the things that matter, not the things that don't. So if I ask you a question, just know that there's some stuff in the background that matters about what the church should do. If I ask you a question about what the church should do, there's stuff in the background that matters and I'm really genuinely interested in, and it's an important decision. So, we are not like this. So our leaders are different. Paul then, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, let's get to our text. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, he gives us two infinitives and one imperative. Two infinitives and one imperative. It's verses 12 through 13. We're going to major on these verses today. and We'll cover the rest of the passage next week. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Here's your imperative. Be at peace among yourselves. I love that last imperative. I love that last imperative because if you've ever been to a Baptist business meeting at a big church, I don't have to say anything else, do I? This is, 
This is something that happens. Peace seems to elude us when we talk about the color of carpet or when we talk about the way ministries are run or when we appoint people to the nominating committee or the, my favorite, the committee on committees. <laughs> when we appoint people to those things, it seems like peace tends to elude us. And yet he says here, after talking about leaders and esteeming them and, and valuing them, he talks about being at peace with one another. The one command you're given in these first two verses, and it's tied to the talk about leaders. That's, the translators did a good job dividing the verses here. This, this idea is tied to it. That entry speech is, after you've considered your leaders, be at peace. Be at peace with one another. But he says this here with this very first phrase. We ask you, brothers, this is a request from family members, which indicates something here, something we need to think about. When he says, we ask you, brothers, there's, there's some things we need to think about here. The, the one thing is that this indicates that in, in Thessalonica, there might have been some struggles among leaders and people. There might have been some difficulties where people didn't want to listen to the leaders and people didn't want to didn't want to value the leaders or they thought something of the leaders that wasn't true and they weren't willing to be at peace with them. And he says, we ask you, brothers, I told you that there is a, a stark absence of titles in 1 Thessalonians. It's odd. In almost every other letter, Paul addresses the letter to the saints and the elders. And then he tells them, to, if they don't have elders, to make elders which is a fun thing to say because I've been told in the past by very wise pastors, you don't have an elder until you have an elder. And Paul says, appoint elders. And you're like, but Paul, I don't have an elder until I have an elder. This is true. Elders aren't people that you just appoint into positions. They're people who grow into those positions. They're people who grow and mature and then get, then get put in those positions as God allows and affords. So... You don't have elders till you have an elder. You're supposed to appoint elders, but there's a stark lack of any of those things. And part of the reason is because Paul wants the Thessalonians to understand that we are brothers and sisters one to another. They are family. This isn't about a hierarchy. Leadership is not about a hierarchy. That's not good leadership. If a leader ever has to hinge on the fact, well, I'm the guy and I'm in charge, therefore we're going to do what I say. If a leader ever has to do that, he's already lost. He's already lost. He's failed to lead. If a leader is leading well, then you are brothers. You're family. He says, we ask you, brothers. We're not children and not parents. Brothers. Brothers and sisters in Christ. I just, I mean, the, the illustrations abound for those of us who have kids, right? That's your sister. That's your brother, right? I have, I, I frequently have to remind my children that they are not the parent. All of them. It's not, it's not relegated to one of them, oldest, youngest, whatever. All of them at some point, you need to be doing this. And you're like, you're, you're not the parent. You're not the parent. You can't tell your brother. You can't tell your sister that. That's not how that works. You're not the parent. 
You're also not the child to rely on the other person to do everything for you. You're not. You're the brother. We ask you, brothers, which means we work together in this. We do this together. You're not relying on somebody else to do it for you like a child who can't pour their own milk. You're also not in charge of everybody else to tell them how they're supposed to do things. No, we ask you, brothers. And then he goes on and he says, to be respecting. That's what that, it's an infinitive. So you put an I-N-G on it, to be respecting, right? Or to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So it gives you three things about the person you're supposed to respect who labors among you, who is over you in the Lord and admonishes you. Now, this word respect is the Greek word oida. And if you've ever looked at Greek, you should know that that's the word for know. To know. To know someone. There's an interesting thing going on here. It's not the word time, which is the word honor, as we translated in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 17. This is, this is rather the word for knowing. So I contend something here. When we translate that, there's something to be learned about the word oida being translated as respect You cannot respect somebody you don't know. Not fully. Not right. Not completely. This idea of knowing somebody is that you would know them to such a degree that you have a natural honor and affection for them. That's what this is. This word is that you would respect this person to the point where they, and and know them to the point where you know what's going on in their heart. We, you do that for me. Just, you do that for me. You know me. I feel like if, if anybody ever brought a charge against me, that would be my first response. Come on, you know me. You know me. No one has, has hidden anything here. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not, on a, I'm not even on a stage. I don't think we'd build a stage. Yeah, Andrew's back there. No, we would not either. Yeah. We, I don't think we would. I don't think we'd put anybody on a platform. I think we'll always be in a crowded room with small, like, I don't, we're never going to be platforming somebody. Like that's, I mean, I could be wrong. I, it could happen that we grow to 3,000 people and all of a sudden people are like, we need a stage to be able to see the front. Like, it's practical. I get it, but. Maybe we'll build an amphitheater. Everybody else will be platformed. It will be. <laughs> we respect. You got to know the person that's there. You can't honor somebody that you don't know. And I just want to confess, you know me. You know me. I wear everything on my sleeve. I don't hide anything. We have talked about this for years, that, that the light has come into the world and exposed the darkness. And part of that exposing is what happens inside us as well. We are completely exposed. Like a raw nerve in front of the whole world. We are completely exposed. And it says, respect those who labor. Labor. This word labor is to wear oneself out. 
That's what it means to wear oneself out, to be tired. And I've told pastors this before, but pastors ought to be tired at the end of the day. They ought to. They ought to be tired at the end of the day. At the end of the day, if a pastor is going, man, I just feel like I've got so much energy I could do. That guy has not worked enough. Like he needs to be tired spiritually, physically. He needs to be wearing himself out. And appropriately, now understand appropriately, not to the point of making himself sick or exhausted or being incapable of doing things, but he needs to be tired. Your pastor is tired often. And not just because I have four children. Also, because I work. We labor over you. Both of us. Andrew and I both, we labor over you. We pray over you. We work over you. We disciple. We meet with people constantly. We're constantly on the phone talking to people. I know that you guys get texts from me. You ought to know that I'm also on the phone with people frequently, just counseling with them. What's funny is people who don't come to church often need more counsel than people who do. People who come to church frequently don't need any. They're usually fine. And if I call them, they're like, hey, yeah, why are you calling? But people who need counsel are frequently those who are not here. And they will call in desperation. That's a side note, but... The pastor, the person that you're supposed to respect is the one who labors or wears himself out. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, it talks about laboring specifically in teaching. Specifically in teaching. Um, now, now that's the idea that there are people among you who are part of you who are teaching you. They're among you, they're part of you, and they are teaching you. Those who labor among you. These aren't people who are distant or far away. There are people who are at hand. These are leaders who are at hand with you. TV preachers and YouTube preachers and various influencers who have all kinds of insight into the scripture are not laboring among you. They don't count. You should not respect them to this degree. Those are teachers that you should be discerning of. By all means, listen to them. Christians have no reason to fear the truth. But you should be discerning of them. And they are outside voices that do not labor among you. But those who labor among you, who know you, who you know, respect them. Respect them when they labor among you. Leaders are those who function this way. I want to to emphasize, they they function this way. It's not the titles they hold. They function this way. Coming from the people who they then intertwine their life with. This is the way Jesus models leadership for us. A shepherd who walks among the flock, within the flock, gently calling the flock to come with him. That's what your leaders are supposed to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. I strive really hard to do that. I work really hard to do that. You are my number one concern. This body gets my attention. Andrew strives to do that. He strives to do that and he does it for me. He does it for me. So, 
We see your leaders respect them in this way. Get to know them. I guarantee if you get to know the leader that you're frustrated with, if you get to know the leaders who are in your life that you're frustrated with, if you dig into their lives, you will find it pretty easy to respect them. If they're godly. If they're wicked, evil people, no, you won't. But if they're godly, you will. Second thing here. So they labor among you and are over you in the Lord. This phrase, over you in the Lord, is prohistomai. It's like standing in front of or standing before. This is the idea that you stand in front of somebody else. You stand in front of somebody else. And, and there's, the image is not clear. Like The image is not clear where the before is, standing before. The image is not clear if standing before means standing up in front where you can see me or standing in front of as in defending you. That's where the image is not clear. And it's not clear for a reason because Paul is using this term to describe those who stand both in front of you when the adversary attacks, those who stand in front of you before the Lord pleading on your behalf like an intercessor, and those who literally are standing in front of you talking right now, this one, right? Like, that's me. This is, this is the one who stands in front of you, but not just in front of you that you can see and hear, but also in front of you as in at night, he is laboring over you in prayer. He's interceding on your behalf. He is standing in front of you when false teachers come. He is protecting you or doing his best to protect you. That's what standing in front of you means. So the, the elder stands in front with the mission. He leads the way in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. He leads the way or walks in front. He stands in front of the world with you. He stands in front of the world with you. Elders are those who can, can encourage you towards good material and bad material. They can be those who can, who can guard you from things. And so when you have a question about a book or a series or a or a thing, an elder ought to have a measured response. And if they don't have a measured response, they ought to have a wise, honest appraisal that says, hey, I don't have a measured response to that. And then goes and finds one. The elder also stands before the Lord praying for you and laying time down for you. Do not consider it a small thing when someone is praying for you. Do not consider it a small thing when someone prays for you. I have, I've been here, we, we planted this church seven years ago, and I've been doing this for a very long time, and there are people who consider it light when you pray for them. Do not do that. When someone prays for you, that is greater than anything they, else they can do. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know you want them to show up at your house. I know you want them to, to be able to provide for your material needs. But when somebody honest and genuinely prays for you, that is a greater thing that they can do than anything else. They are going before the creator of the universe and praying on your behalf. And I say that because I know there's a spirit of bitterness that rises up among people 
Not you. Just be clear. Not that I know of, not from any of you. I've never heard any of this from anybody in this room, only people who are not in this room. There's a spirit of bitterness that rises up among people that says, well, he prays for us, but what else does he do? Don't be that person. That person suffers punishment. It's not, he doesn't suffer punishment because it's like, oh, you spoke against the patent. No, it's, Suffers punishment because he disregards the word of God. And the word of God talks about prayer as something incredibly valuable. Don't dismiss it. Don't dismiss it. Don't be that person. When someone says they're praying for you, thank the Lord for them praying. Thank the, and you, and this, I mean, we, we do this here. Understand, I'm not correcting anybody in this room in my head. I'm just telling you what's happened in the past. And I told you this was a hard sermon for me to preach. This happens. Don't let bitterness grow up in you. Don't let it rise in you. Bitterness tells you lies. Bitterness discounts the work of God. Bitterness tells you that prayer doesn't do anything. No, prayer changes the world. We're seeing that right now. How long have we prayed for revival? And this week, it broke out all over the country and in some nations. It's still going. Oh, that it would continue and the church would, the church in America would grow and Enlarge with people becoming believers. So these leaders are those who labor among you and they are over you in the Lord. Again, that's not a, that's not a ruling here. It talks about ruling in other passages, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is people who stand in front of you, who stand in front of you and stand for you and stand in your place and defend you. That's what he's talking about in this passage. And then he says, admonish you. These people admonish you. Admonishment is a difficult word for us because we tend to think of it as wagging a finger. That's not what admonishment means. Admonishment is one who warns somebody. Instead of thinking of it like this, think of it like this. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's what admonishing means. Throw your hands up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. That's what admonishing means. Admonishing always comes with some encouragement or instruction or uplifting. It's used in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct or admonish one another. Admonishing means that you're able to teach and instruct one another. You're able to give instruction to one another and instruction of what life how to live how to live remember i i say we say this often old saints don't become old saints overnight there's a reason there's a reason you want the seasoned saints around you seasoned saints that sounds like a bad shirt you want a seasoned saint around you the reason you want the seasoned saint around you is because they have advice like, you know, don't count your eggs before your chickens. I don't, those things, <laughs> right? They got those weird things they say. 
My favorite that I tell married couples is keep your dipper in your own bucket. Everybody's got a bucket. It's where you draw your spiritual reservoir from. Everybody's got a dipper and you can dip in your bucket, but you don't be sticking your dipper in your other person's bucket and stirring it, right? Like that's <laughs> such a goofy analogy. So good, but it came from a seasoned older pastor who knew what he was talking about. This is somebody who's, who, who dipped his dipper in other people's buckets for years and decided that's not working, right? So we listen to these brothers and sisters who admonish us because they're in the body. We have men in our church here who teach that don't have a title. Who love the Lord who you can sit with and learn from. Who don't have a title and they don't need one. You want an elder? Elder. Admonish. This is reserved. This is not reserved for leaders, but is for all of us. This admonishing one another. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankful hearts to God. I want you to notice two things about admonishing there. One, admonishing comes out of wisdom comes out of wisdom. You get wisdom from the Lord and from his word. And admonishment often comes with song. How fun is that one? Sharing music with one another. And I think that there's a reason for this. One of the best ways to instruct people is through song. It's the reason that we pick the songs we do here. They often have instruction for you. They often have heavy doctrine for you. So we pick these songs for a reason. We admonish one another through the word, through teaching the word, and through singing and worshiping together. That's how we admonish one another. This is how we do it. We admonish one another this way. So it's important that you engage in the singing. It's important that you engage in the prayer time. It's important that you engage in, with each other and talk with each other. It's important that you do this because Scripture tells us that's how we admonish one another. That's how we grow. That's how we live. That's where we find our joy in community. And out of that will overspring, will spring out of that in Colossians 3 for 16, thankful hearts to God. Gratitude to God will come from that. We admonish each other through the word through teaching and through worshiping alongside one another, ending in gratitude to God. Job chapter 4, verse 3, uses the same word admonish in the Septuagint. That's how, we trans- that's how we know it's the same word. So the same word admonish is used, to, is, is used there to describe strengthening a brother, admonishing someone, strengthening him, not tearing him down. Admonishment is not a finger wagging but hands up and then lifting the other person up. That's what admonishing is. We have a saying here that when there is a struggle somebody's having, if you're not willing to get involved in the struggle, don't bring it up. Because when you want to bring it up, you got to get involved with it. You got to step in and help pick the other person up. 
You hold each other up as you walk. This is called what I call grace extended. Grace has landed on me and it extends from me to you. And that grace does not say you are a wicked, evil, horrible person. That grace says, I was wicked, evil, and horrible, and God saved me. He's going to save you too. Let's get, let's get to it. Let's overcome this. Let's overcome this together. Whatever the sin is, whatever the difficulty is, we fight it together, not alone. We fight it together. You have a team and a family. So we are to respect those who labor and are over you and admonish you. And then we've got this second one, which we're going to do very quickly because it's relatively short. Verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So to esteem means to put at the forefront of your mind. Again, this is a different word than honor that is used in 1 Timothy. Timothy uses the phrase uh, to honor someone, which is the word time, uh, giving somebody honor for their labor of teaching. Like that's, that's different. This word is to put someone at the forefront of your mind. Think about them. Think about them often to esteem them highly, to think positively about them, to think positively about them. And I just want to give you a pro tip. If you ever have trouble is thinking highly of somebody, force yourself to do it. And you'll very quickly find that your, your mind will come in line with the truth very quickly. Think about good things about the person. In fact, I've gone as far as when I've been around leaders that I did not, that I was having, let me, I'm going to be very, very politically correct. When I was having difficulty respecting a leader who was in a position of authority over me, I found this exercise to be very helpful. I sat down with a piece of paper and I wrote down any positive thing that I could think of. Any positive thing that I could think of about that leader. I would think about that. And then I would write it down on a piece of paper. And then I would pray for that leader because of those positive things. Thank you for that blah, blah, blah. Whatever it was. Whatever the positive things was. Now, I'll be honest. Some of those leaders have very short lists. But still, I found myself being able to conform my thoughts. Because Jesus Christ has freed me from the sin of bitterness. He has freed me from the sin of selfishness. He has freed me from the sin of self-righteousness. And he has made it so that I can worship him. And my thoughts can become his thoughts. And I can think highly of people. And I can change the way I think about people. Because I'm free from sin. No longer bound to it. I'm no longer bound to that wickedness. I can now esteem those who are placed above me. Because God is good. And he says, esteem them to a high degree. That's what highly, esteem them very highly. An extremely high degree. Again, you can't esteem or respect or honor somebody you don't know. You can't. I mean, you can put people on pedestals, but you're not really respecting or honoring or esteeming them. You need to know them. You need to know them. If you have trouble esteeming somebody, get to know them. Spend time with them. Get to know them. Which is going to be very awkward when some of you ask me to coffee this next week. That's, it's going to be very difficult when you start asking each other out to do stuff after hearing this. 
did you hear what John was saying? And now you're taking me out because you're having trouble esteeming me. So, look, there's no, there's no pride here. Work hard to esteem one another and to esteem those who teach and those who stand before you. And you're to esteem them in love. What kind of love are you supposed to esteem them in? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. Love does not seek any record of wrong. It keeps no records of wrong. It does not boast. Oh, I already said that. First Corinthians 13. Love never fails. It always trusts, always hopes, always protects, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the kind of love that you esteem people with. That's the kind of love that you should esteem your leaders with. That's the kind of love I've felt from you for seven years. Honestly, that's the kind of love I've felt for you for seven years. We've had people come and go. But those who remain, that's the kind of love that I've felt. And I'm grateful for it, honestly. I'm so grateful for it. I'd rather be here than anywhere else in the world. I only wish that you had more brothers and sisters who came. That's all. I wish that you had more family members. I wish that, that we could walk outside and there'd be a mass of people for you to minister to because I feel like there's something here that is so precious and valuable and beautiful. And it's hidden in a small corner. And that's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. That's wonderful. But I want the whole world to have the joy that I have at Sovereign Grace. I want everyone to have it. As Christians, I want every, every other church, they'll tell me about their church. And you, in the back of my head, I'm going, yeah, Sovereign Grace is better. Yeah. I don't say it out loud. I, mean, I, I know better. Like, but in my brain, I'm going, man, if you had the community I have, oh, how you'd grow and flourish. Oh, how wonderful it is to be esteemed highly in love. And why do you esteem these people? You esteem them because of their employment, because they keep busy, because they work. You esteem them because they work. We work. Our church, we work. We have personal discipline. We strive to know the Lord. We strive to talk to our neighbors. We work. Esteem each other because of it. We work and we love deeply here. Esteem one another because of your work. Esteem your leaders because of their work. There are places and churches where people do not work. Thank the Lord that's not here. That would be a very different message. It would be a very different message. But we work. I labor hard for you. I do. I try really hard. And I know. I know it's not like... I'm not blowing everything out like I know. And I don't feel worthy of your affection. There's no pride in me. There's no issues of me going, I'm awesome, why isn't things going well? No, there's only a desperate need that people would see the gospel of Jesus Christ and join us in the walk and run with me. That's why it hurts so much when people show up and start the run 
and then go, ah, I don't want to do that. I'm just too tired. Like, drives me nuts. Run with me. Let's flourish together. Oh, I love serving you. I love working here. I love being able to write for you. I love being able to teach. I love being able to sit with you at coffee. I love being able to go through scripture with you. I love these things. They are a balm to my soul in a world that is falling apart. I love this about our church. You respect me and you esteem me and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And though I don't feel worthy of it, I'm going to try to be. But I don't feel worthy of it, I'm going to try to be. Be at peace with one another. This is his imperative at the end of that. Be at peace with one another. If we love well, peace naturally follows. If we esteem each other, if we respect each other, if we labor over each other, if we work to teach well, then we... We will be at peace. We will be at peace with one another. If our goal is to love one another, we will be at peace because we will put in the effort, because we will put in the labor. And at Sovereign Grace, we put in the labor. We put in the work. So, thank you. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that our... Example for all of this is beautifully displayed in Jesus Christ. Who, when his disciples go, Lord, we don't know the way. He goes, I am the way. And when his disciples go, show us the Father and that'll be enough. He goes, you've seen me. And when his disciples walk into the room, Peter goes, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus goes, look, man, I have to wash. If I don't wash you, you've got no part with me. And his disciples who sit there and bicker over who's the one that's going to betray them when they all do. Who's the one that's going to betray them? Well, they all run out on him. Every one of them. Oh, this is our example. Jesus and his disciples. Jesus and me and you. How does Jesus handle you? That's how we should handle each other. What kind of grace does Jesus give to you? That's the grace we should give to each other. Father, we pray.